Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, coming to you live from my editing suite straight to your ears. We are all on holiday this week, having a nice relaxing time, enjoying the great British weather. And so what we have for you is one of our compilation specials, loads of fun bits from the last few months that didn't quite fit into the show, but are really funny, really stupid, really just us messing around. These are always my favourite episodes, by the way. I absolutely love them. I genuinely think some of the best bits of fish that we've ever done have been in these compilations, but it's all sorts of bits, all sorts of subjects, loads and loads of facts loads and loads of fun we really really hope you enjoy it we will be back next week with a normal episode with a very special guest more on that next week but for now i guess all there is to say is on with the podcast Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from four undisclosed locations in the UK. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, James Harkin and Andrew Hunter-Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Andy. My fact is that after his death, Anton Chekhov was brought back to Russia in a refrigerate in a refrigerated whaleway. Bugs Bunny's gonna be doing oh. my fact for me. I had a friend who used to sleep with his eyes open, so <gasps> no. oh, killed yeah. it. military style. Every yes. now and then we'd be sat in the front room, like, you know, playing video games or something or just chatting and then we'd be like oh rich hasn't spoken for a while he'd be sat there with his eyes open and it turned out he was asleep <laughs> are you sure he wasn't just trying to avoid talking to you guys <laughs> came up in a clever way <laughs> was he, he a did, lizard he did sometimes talk in his sleep and say shut the fuck up james <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, just in the sort of modern day theater version of that james and i got a behind the scene tours of the harry potter and the cursed child set which is the play uh, yeah. in in the west end in london and it, it we were told at the time that it takes about a million pounds a week to run the whole production there were so many different little bits and pieces that go into putting it on and one of the things that they have is there's a moment where um two of the characters need to emerge from a lake and they've mm. built under the stage a massive water tank so on the payroll for the cursed child are two scuba instructors <laughs> who go inside with these kid actors and they have um, a, they have a little mouth breather on, and then they come up through the stage, completely soaking. So it's like this body of water. But that's how that's can not I, wild. Can I just say I was on this tour with Dan, and he's talking rubbish. It's all magic. The whole play <laughs> is completely magic. And the reason I know that is because when you go backstage, you can see all the ones are backstage, and they're plugged in to the <laughs> electricity so you know that it's definitely working well i yeah. didn't know you needed to charge a wand they're all bluetooth oh, yeah. they now yeah, they don't mention days. that in the books <laughs> okay sorry i don't understand why these children had to be submerged in water before they came on stage was it just well, so they looked wet no no they came up through the floor of the stage so it was a tank built underneath the stage so they were coming up you, but you why are they in water? that right Sorry, because well, of the plot, because of the story. Of the plot, they're Anna. coming out of a lake. <laughs> oh, they're coming out of a lake. Sorry, I missed that bit. Right, God, that makes sense. 
<laughs> I actually went to see the play, so I should remember that. Wow. <laughs> but I did leave at the interval. <laughs> it happens, it, it happens like, literally just before the interval. It's the last thing you would have seen. Well, I remember because Anna, you came out saying there's a fucking lake in this. What a load of bullshit. Why are they so wet? Why are they so wet? <laughs> I don't understand how they did it. I can't. My brain can't fathom. Um, do you know who is the highest grossing actor of all time? I got sent this by our friend Justin Gaynor on email yesterday. He asked me if I knew. So the highest grossing actor. actor so what this means time. is if you're in a movie, they add the entire amount of money that that movie has made to your amount. So it's um, brilliant. who's been in the most very, very high profile movies in history. Is it that that I think it was the guy who I mentioned a few episodes ago, Frank Welker, who yeah. is a voiceover artist. Scooby-Doo and The Grinch. He did The Dog in The Grinch. But think is about that. that. The Grinch is big, but it's not the biggest. Think about the biggest, biggest movie. movies of all time. Is it okay, so who, Andy Serkis in... has been in the biggest movies of all time oh, yeah. as CGI guy. So what's um, your? what are you naming as biggest movies there then? Um, Avatar, Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings. Um, Think bigger. Think bigger. That, that bigger. big easy adaptation of Little Dorrit. That's, <laughs> that's what. So b- bigger than that, even. Even What's bigger, bigger than, than King Kong and, and Lord of the Rings. Um, Star Wars, I guess. Have we heard of this person or is it sort yep, of you've heard of extra? Dan has got the best chance of getting this, I would say, but you all is might. Is it someone who plays some Harrison Ford? Backgroundy. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Is there someone in Jackie Chan films? No, no. Think, what's the biggest grossing movie of all time? Star Wars. Titanic. No. Ben Hur. <laughs> is it a new movie? Or not Gone with the Wind is fair, but I'm talking about actual Avengers. 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 Okay. And almost all of the top 20 are Marvel films, basically. Yeah, so Robert okay. Downey Jr. is nope. the top. Somebody who's been in all of them. John Favreau. Nope. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. He's he's, the, he's number oh, two. He's number it, two, but he's not it, been in all of them. Is it Stan Lee? Stan Lee. Ah. Because he is in a tiny cameo in every single Marvel movie up until he died and the couple after he died as well. And so if you add up all of those amounts, then he is the biggest of Brilliant. all time. Ah. And he was in More Rats as well, Kevin Smith's movie. That would have tipped it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if he was in Little Dorrit, but <laughs> he might have been. At the moment, right now, there are 200 uh, spy albatrosses in the world uh, which are flying around logging illegal fishing vessels. This is very cool. It's interesting, ah, isn't yeah. it? Because fishermen hate albatrosses famously. You know, they from do. The, of the ancient mariner and stuff. So well, now they yeah. have good reason to hate them, don't they? They do have good reason, yeah. Um, the French National Centre for Scientific Research it fitted them with little gps trackers and because it's like there are so many illegal fishing boats out there um but they and they switch off their their unique id systems to try and stay covert all by all fishing boats have a a sort of radio id system and if if you're Mm. fishing in illegal waters then you turn it off um but the the birds cover so much ground um you know they can see a fishing boat from 20 miles away and they can pick up the the gps signals that these um, boats aren't able to switch off. And in the first six months of the trial, they found 353 fishing vessels in that time, of which one third had their ID systems switched off, implying that they were up to no good and fishing in illegal waters. So this could be a this could be a useful yeah. technique. And do they so but they're doing it unwillingly, the albatrosses, right? Do you think they ever get <laughs> I mean, together and say, I hate this bloody, you know, monitoring collar they've put on me. It's a real it's a real albatross around my neck. Oh, <laughs> very good. They find that very offensive actually, Anna. <laughs> <laughs>
didn't see for such a long time where you were going with that. Yeah. I knew I'd have to see it all the way through. It was, it was <laughs> it's just not quite common parlance enough that you don't have to finish it off. <laughs> um, there's only one other thing I know about cheetahs, okay. um, mm. and it's that this is a really strange thing. It's that um, if you if you have cheetahs in a zoo, you have to be really careful to pick up their poos because they there's a particular disease which is spread via cheetah feces, and normally they have massive ranges, and it, you know they never come across their own poos again. But obviously that's not the case in a zoo. Um, but in the wild scientists uh, study them by their poos. But it's a real problem because cheetah families all poo at the same time. So if... Well, they do say a family that poos together stays together, don't they? It's really a nightmare. So you've got a cheetah family, you're a scientist observing them, and it it gives you the DNA and you you can work out who's fathered whom, which is really interesting because cheetah females mate with lots of different males and then produce a litter. You know, you can have three different cubs in a litter by three different fathers. So it's useful to know who's fathered whom for your studies. But obviously, they've spread out and do their mass poo at the same time. You have to photograph all the cheetahs as they poo. You have to map the poos. Then you have to assign the right poo to the right cheetah. And then you can study them by the DNA. I remember growing up in quite a large family and every morning it was a bit of a stress to see who could get in for a shower first. Uh, but imagine <laughs> the jeopardy if you all have to poo at the same time. That is, yeah. oh my God, that cue. If I've just had a vindaloo... And I, you know, I've got my seven siblings there, and I'm saying I'm absolutely desperate, guys. Are you ready yet? Well, I, I have to wait sort of seven hours until one of them is managing to crimp one out. <laughs> it's very stressful. Um, that's... And then, do you see? That's why sometimes when you're wandering through um, Africa, you see bags hanging on trees, don't you? From <laughs> yeah. The cheetah scientists who've left those poo bags there, and they always claim they're going to come back and pick them up. <laughs> Um, you know, in recent podcasts, I was mentioning to us how Stephen King is the master of just taking anything and turning it into a horror story, no matter how ridiculous. He just knows how to do it. So have you guys heard of the Stephen King story, The Mangler? No. Uh, no. And this this was made into a movie. Um, the story is about a police detective investigating a sudden rash of deaths caused by an industrial laundry press. And this is a laundry press that has become possessed by a demon. So the the villain in this actual story is a laundry press itself going around Brilliant. killing people. Yeah, um, he can going around. Well, that's actually, more, he's that's in, more he's, interesting to me. He, he's in he's in the, he's in his is in laundry uh, room. So no. Uh, so you're safe if you don't go in the laundry room. Yeah, um, that's a good strapline for the film. <laughs> in fact, I suppose you're you're kind of probably safe as long as you don't put yourself into the mangle. Right. Yeah. Because it's it's no, not. It can't the mangle really, must be able. Yeah. To, the mangle must have some kind of independent movement where it can attack you. Right. How? How's it, it might, move? It's well, it might. No, it might lure you in. It might be like, hey, hey, come. You know, it might. It might speak and get you to go to it or something like that. But I see what you're saying, James. It's like we're all we're all safe from Charles Bronson unless we go into his cell. Like that's. Mm. You're right. Just yeah. don't go into his cell. Oh, that's a terrifying thought to leave us all with. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were they were very dangerous, though, Mangles. So in a way, this sounds like it was more historical documentary than his classic <laughs> horror. Um, they were, they, people used to get injured all the time. I was reading a book that was called Save Women's Lives, The History of Washing Machines, uh, which was written in 2003 about how um, 
And it went, it was a, by a guy who runs a museum about washing machines. And he said whenever he showed people around, at least one older person would reveal a scar they had from a mangle <laughs> at some point. So every, you know, every time he had one wow. woman who was like, oh yeah, and revealed a huge bald patch on her head from where she was scalped by it. Because they'd be steam powered quite often and wow. then electric, of course. So you couldn't stop them. So if you got your hair caught in a mangle, that's your scalp. But then why are all these people who presumably have PTSD from being mangled in a mangle going to a mangle <laughs> museum? <laughs> it's um, Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? <laughs> They've fallen in love with their mangler. Wow. You see, Stephen King, Stockholm finger syndrome. on the pulse. There's obviously a huge market for this. I got to say, Dan, honestly, like right. you, you always tell us how great Stephen King is, and then you regale us with some bullshit story <laughs> that makes no sense at all. <laughs> Diane Keaton, just a bit of celebrity trivia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Diane Keaton wore clothes pegs on her nose to try and make it thinner. Really? Never had any surgery, plastic surgery, but in many ways this is a kind of surgery. Uh, she said in an interview that she did it. And the only other person I can find who ever did that was Meg in Little Women, who used to sleep every night with a peg on her nose to make her nose thinner. Right. Oh, really? I don't think it worked for either of them. But sure. she must have got the idea from Little Women, right? That's ba- unless she got it from a cartoon, because that's the only other people I could think who do that. Yeah. Was, she, was she doing this when she was a child, Anna? No, no, when she was a young woman. Yeah, if you watch Annie Hall again, Andy, you'll see <laughs> Diane Keaton has a peg on her nose the entire time. Not the new ones, they've CGI'd it out, but yeah, the original. Mm. <laughs> Anna, did you read that fact while reading about Silvio Sabba by any chance? I didn't actually. Oh, so tell Sylvia me about Sabba, Sylvia. Well, he's got a. He can teach Meg from Little Women and Diane Keaton a thing or two because he has the record for the most clothes pegs on his face at the same time <laughs> in one minute. Actually, the most clothes pegs added to the face within a minute. Right. Has it a guess? Uh, well, I don't think. Maybe my skin isn't stretchy enough, but I can only imagine being able to get three or four on mine before okay. it gets too stretched out. I'm going to be honest, the Guinness World Record is higher than Yeah, four. but I didn't expect when you asked me, or when I said what I could do, I wasn't thinking, well, you know, when you say, how fast did Usain Bolt run the 100 metres? I don't think, well, I could do it in about 15 seconds, so probably about the same. If it's a world record holder, it's going to be better than me. It is better. It is better. Five. Five. Six. There we go. <laughs> okay, let's be serious. Seven. Okay. Thanks, guys. Um, it's 51 in a minute. 51, oh, so that's almost gee. one a second. Oh, I know. Wow. And I'm amazed at just the speed of adding them. Never mind how stretchy his skin is. Yeah. But um, he, he has a bit of form because he's one of these guys who has loads and loads of records. So he's also got, he's got about 200 records. He's got the record for most underpants pulled on in 30 seconds. Um, you could actually do both of those records at the same time if you had an outdoor clothesline, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading about Russian dancers and Russian balls. Um, they had a bowl season in Russia, which lasted from Christmas until Maslenitsa, which is um, like Pancake Day. It was brought in by Peter the Great, so they were compulsory. If you're in high society, you had to go to these bowls. The only way is if you had a serious illness or you were in mourning, you could miss the bowl, but otherwise you had to do it. Uh, and then you would do all of these dances. You would start with the waltz, and then you would do a Hungarian dance, and then you'd do another dance and another dance, and then the final one was the mazurka 
which was like a big Russian dance where everyone puts their arms around each other, but then you pair off as well. Uh, and of course, anyone who's read Anna Karenina will be very familiar with that kind of thing, because of course, um, when Anna came into the ball and she danced with Alexi, that was kind of the big. Ma- Sorry, that's a bit of a spoiler. Don't, for pu- Anna don't push your luck, James. Uh, mentioning Anna Karenina, <laughs> <laughs> we've got to move on. And there used to be cheetahs in America, like not pet cheetahs, but um, real Mm. kind of wild cheetahs. Uh, Well, they're false cheetahs, but they're kind of very similar. Um, They're called Miracinonics, they were known as, um, but they died out. And the only reason we know about them is because they have in um, North America, they have pronghorn and pronghorn are really, really fast and they move in lots of directions and stuff like that. And the only way that they could have evolved to have run and dodge and, and kind of jump around is if there had been a predator that was chasing after them. Uh, and so they realized that there must be this other thing. And so they called it a um, mirror synonics, uh, which That's is a false teach- cheetah. Yeah. So we, and do we have evidence that this ch- cheetah cheetah existed? Think they haven't quite found the bones or anything yet, but they just have inferred that there must have been a predator that was faster than these pronghorn. Otherwise, why would they evolve to get so fast? Because it's fun. Oh, I think that's a big inference. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun going fast. Why do people buy Lamborghinis? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> there used to be a predator um, that had even faster cars than us uh, <laughs> that used to come after us, and that's why we evolved Lamborghinis. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Can I quickly tell you one thing? I don't think it'll go anywhere, but um, the first Polish language um, encyclopedia I just read the other day uh, it was called Noe Atene, uh, which meant New Athens. And their definition of the word horse is everyone knows what a horse is. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it feels like that was the last article they had to write and they just didn't have the will to do it properly anymore. It's such a good thing. But apparently, and I don't know any Polish, obviously, but um, apparently everyone knows what a horse is has become kind of a phrase to mean something that is uh, more obvious than it seems. Like It looks like a really technical thing, but actually it's really simple. So, right. But you stole that encyclopedia entry. It became yeah. a sort of in joke in Poland. Exactly. That is really so nice. good. There was a um, website, um, Movies from Men, it's called, that did a list. They went through <laughs> yes, 350 films and they did a death count compiling the deadliest actor list. And uh, this was a few years ago, so it might have changed. I don't know if the expendable movies have been used in this. But um, so, you know, Aliens, Die I think they're Hard, all kind Terminator. of expendable movies, really, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've so, been driven to going to all these incel websites. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, a, there's a top 10 list. And who do you think has more kills? Is it Schwarzenegger or Stallone? Well, I would have said Schwarzenegger, personally. I think so, too. There are a couple of unbelievably silly sort of commando films where... So I'll say Schwarzenegger, too. Schwarzenegger. Uh, Anna, you're not allowed to guess on this because... No, they're not movies for me, are they? (laughs) (laughs) So it is Schwarzenegger who has, as far as they can tell, 842 kills. Uh, he ranks number four on the list. Number oh. six oh. on the list Can we guess is Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, 
Yeah, go uh, for it. Okay. Have we heard of number one? Oh, and Stallone, by the way, has 786. So okay. it's um, it's not a huge difference between the two of them. Is um, it? But yeah, Ten. who's in at number one with 1,296 kills? Wow. Uh, I would say it's Moff Tarkin in Star Wars who blows up the planet of Alderaan, of course, <laughs> which I'm guessing now has a very a much lower population than previously imagined. <laughs> um, okay, killing an entire planet, that's good. What about Thanos? Oh, yeah. Um, um I, don't know. I can't imagine who'd get. Is it Dan? You're, the someone you're in looking, a it's... war. Someone in war films, right? It can't. Well, you can't be including pressing a button on a bomb, right? Otherwise, yeah. I think unfair. this is. I think it got to be hand to hand. Hand to hand, almost. So I'll give you oh, who's a bunch. Your... I'll give you three and two. Number two is Dolph Lundgren with nine hundred and nineteen. Two is Jet Li with one thousand and seventy-six. Is it that oh, guy you like? I know it'll be. Yeah, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, was he one? He does yeah. not appear on the list. Oh, no. someone like that. So, someone who played a famous Oh, Jackie Chan, maybe. I mean. Jackie Chan. Was yeah, no, Jackie Chan doesn't appear on the list either. Is this someone well, who pacifist played... Jackie Chan, likes to keep people alive. Yeah. Okay. Um, is it Pikachu from Detective Pikachu? <laughs> yeah, there was a bloodbath that movie. I really regret <laughs> taking my three-year-old to that. Uh, what is, is it? Is it Rupert Everett? I mean, how surprising let, let, are we going? Let me give the answer. The answer is Mila Djokovic. The okay. only woman to appear on the list of the top 10 uh-huh. in the man list uh, with 1,296. Oh, that's sticking one to the incels, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Who are we talking about Resident Evil? Yeah. Resident Evil, all yeah. six Resident Evil films, all of which I've seen. Uh, oh, God. Wow. Have you? They're great. <laughs> They're so good. You were the one who tallied up death? the kills from the site, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> cool. well, a lot of them are zombies in that, those films, So, but I guess, I guess that counts. That's it. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what criteria movies for men use. <laughs> scientific yeah, how, how studies. Rigorous, how rigorous is their research, do you think? <laughs> I had pineapple last night for dinner, by sheer coincidence. Uh, with? And the reason I, I had it actually with um, caramel sauce poured on top that we received as a Christmas present from some uh, people that we work with. Anna, are you okay? <laughs> Sorry, that just sounds like a meal of last resort is what I'm trying to say. Like, we'll use the Christmas caramel sauce and pour it on top of the pineapple. I mean, it does feel like you had a certain amount of food at Christmas two months ago and you're getting to the really last bits of the Christmas buffet. It definitely it has been there for a while. And it was the beginning of December they sent it. I Because I hate waste, you know, and the pineapple was just going off because no one wants to eat a pineapple um, that's been sitting in our fruit bowl for two weeks because it gets delivered with the fruit delivery. And this is why, you know, there's this thing where um, in the 1700s, um, people didn't eat pineapples because they were so treasured, they just used them for decoration. Mm. But I think it's just because mm. they're such an arse to break into. You can't be bothered. Yes, you just they are a bit of a pain. I always, I oh, this is not going to go in, but I always make um, like a green curry and put it inside the pineapple, right? So you <gasps> scoop out all the pineapple stuff and then you put the green curry inside. But it is unbelievably difficult to scoop out. It's all right if you slice it up. It's not that hard. But if you're trying to scoop out the inside, it's completely impossible. Do you eat the pineapple on the side? Pineapple of the goes curry? in the curry as well. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. And then I save some of it and usually have it with like meat the next day when I used to eat meat. Because like it goes well with gammon and stuff, doesn't it? Mm, yes. Classic. Anyway, <laughs> join in, join us next week for cooking with Harkin. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Um, um, who who takes the most uh, naps on the planet? National in national terms. Well, um, I would have thought like the Spaniards maybe for yeah, siestas Spain. and Spain has such a reputation. 
for their siestas, and it's not borne out. Almost 60% never have a siesta. Um, mm. Spanish working hours are longer, and they tend to sleep a bit less than the rest of Europe. And it, do you know whose fault it is? Uh, was it like the Nazis? They're usually to blame for everything, aren't they? Yeah. It was. It was the Nazis. Ah. It's the fascists. Ah. But it's the Spanish fascists, presumably. Uh, Actually, no. Frank- it's the German ah. fascists in cahoots with the Spanish fascists. So really? in 1942, General Franco, fascist, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, changed the country's clocks in Spain to match Berlin's time zone in solidarity with Hitler. And uh, no one ever changed them back. And so the, Spain is on Central European time, or European Central time, uh, which is the same as Warsaw, 1,200 miles east of there. And this is a mad time zone for the country of Spain to be in. Um, it's part of the reason that Spanish people work. I mean, also the weather and so on. But, um, you know, Spanish people tend not to eat until 9pm. They don't go to bed uh. before midnight. There is a whole campaign to get Spain back onto GMT because Spain is just not in the right time zone for the circadian rhythms of the people who live there. Wow. Weird. Yeah. You would have thought there's a real two strong arguments. A, it really doesn't work for them in terms of their circadian rhythms. And B, it's got a strong association with fascists. I know. Ditch it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say one more thing about um, soap detergents, seeing as this was about Daz? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Um, there is a thing at the moment in um, Europe called the CERN Axion Solar Telescope. Uh, and it's at CERN, and they're trying to find um, these tiny particles called axions. Uh, and axions are particles that are a little bit related to the Higgs uh, boson and things like that. They're going to help us explain what dark matter is if we find them. They were named by a guy called Frank Vilcek. Uh, and the reason that he called them axions is because that was his favourite soap powder that he used. And he said nice. that it sounded a bit like a subatomic particle, doesn't it? An axion. Kind of sounds yeah. like it. Uh, but he said if they find them, it will clean up a problem with particle physics. Lovely. And nice. So He's Very also got the best work. intern's name ever. You know, who's going to sort this out? Oh, Frank will check. <laughs> <laughs> do baboons have sex for pleasure or, or do they just have it for procreation? Oh, I don't know. I don't suspect know. pleasure. They seem I... like fun loving criminals. Well, I know bonobos do. Yeah, like yeah bonobos in, in bet- love it. Like kind of an in between. I don't know. Bonobo is nearly an anagram of baboon. Well, that's, so that's why something. I was thinking, actually. Yeah. 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 I think if any anim- animal is an anagram of another animal, I'm always disappointed when melons and lemons don't taste the same. I think they kind of should. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they've both got boobs and knobs, if you sort of break their names down. They do, yeah. That but sounds they- quite sexy. Mm. Yeah. It- well, we've revealed a lot. <laughs> This is this is why lexicographers and um, zoologists are very different beasts. It's so nice to leave knowledge out there for the experts. Uh, any baboon experts listening won't feel threatened by this podcast, I think. Um, um, I think my favourite thing that I found out about uh, Air Force One is that there was a room temperature button, a little dial that was added onto the plane. And this was because President Johnson, when he was vice president, he kept uh, arguing with the crew about lowering and raising the temperature of the cabin. He was like, it's too cold or it's too hot. And so they eventually got tired of this and they installed a temperature control in the conference room, but it was fake. Didn't work at all. (laughs) And so he could go up and change it on his own, never changed anything, but he'd go, that's better, and sit down and uh, think that he'd controlled the weather inside. Okay, that's what we call gaslighting in this day and age, (laughs) poor guy. (laughs) 
But there was a haunted rocking chair in the 50s. Did anyone re- read about that? No. I read about the this. Devils. It, no, it was in a blog called Strange Company, which I can highly recommend. It's an unbelievably good blog. And this was an article from the Baltimore Sun of the April the 29th, 1950, about a rocking chair with a mind of its own. And what it was is there was a family called the Floyd Holidays and they had a rocking chair and it just wouldn't stop rocking all the time. And it just had rocked nonstop for 37 days. And it became really, really famous and was on TV in America. And (laughs) would go on chat shows. And these people would go on chat shows and they'd be like, yeah, we've got a rocking chair that won't stop rocking. And a lot of people kind of went to visit the house. They almost got rid of it because so many people were coming to visit this haunted rocking chair. Um, And some people said that maybe it was um, vibrations from the refrigeration motor that was going off right next to it. Um, But sure enough, when they moved it to another house, it carried on rocking as well. Uh, And then eventually they took it to be on TV, this rocking chair, and it had to go through an airport. uh, And some vandals hearing about it ripped it up and kind of looked inside it to see if there was some motors or something like that. Uh, And it was insured for $1,000. So um, the insurance company said, we'll either give you $1,000 or you can have $700 and you can keep the chair. And that's what they went for. But it kind of stopped continually rocking at that point. Uh, And we don't know why it was rocking all the time. But most people think that perhaps it was, you know, the the legs were in a way that they never quite got in, you know. But hang on, isn't that a perpetual motion machine? Isn't that the thing we're told can't happen? (laughs) Exactly. That's why it's mysterious. That's why it's in the newspapers, Andy. I can't believe all the world's scientists, all the brilliant minds, have not yet figured out this rocking chair. I, I imagine probably they they had other things to figure out. But basically what happened was whenever it started moving, I assume it just took ages to stop and then other things would get it moving again and it just would carry on rocking for ages. I bet. I bet wow. that when people came to see it, they they said, right, don't go in. Don't go into the room just yet. And then as soon as anyone went in, the chair was rocking, but also grandpa was just shuffling away from it. <laughs> <laughs> right, look, there, you've seen it's rocking and no one's sitting in it. Right, you better leave. Come on, get out, get out, get out. You're probably right. <laughs> Donald Trump obsessed with badges, apparently. Sorry, I know we all thought we'd never have to talk about him again, and I'm bringing it back. Um, but there was a report near the start of his term that he, from within the White House, among his staff, uh, that said he would constantly be asking Ryan's Prebrus, who was his chief of staff at the time, about badgers and was interrogating him because Ryan's was from Wisconsin, which is the home of the American badger. I think it's their state animal. And he'd say things like, do they have personality? Are they boring? How do they work? Are they mean to people? He was desperate to know about badgers. Wow. Uh, there, was a, there was a badger in the White House, wasn't there? I think it was Roosevelt had one called Josh. I'm going from memory here. <laughs> Oh, that rings a bell. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, who because he had almost all animals, didn't he? He collect, as in he had a lot of crazy pets. In I the White think House. he might have. This is again also from memory, but was he in Wisconsin and like a little girl said, Do you want a badger? And he said, Yeah, sure. And then she went away and 10 minutes later came back with a badger. <laughs> and <laughs> then he the had story, to keep yeah. her or something. Awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Trump read about that and thought, mm. If Teddy gets one, I want one. Um, I mentioned it mainly because did you know that um, the nickname that Scaramucci had for Reince Priebus was Rancid Penis? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that Scaramucci only lasted 10 days of his job with his knack of making friends. <laughs> uh, oh, I've got a, 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 this isn't a gross butterfly, actually. It's just a weird sex butterfly thing. 
um, which is, and it's another American one, actually. It's in the Sierra Nevada mountains. There's a butterfly which has been discovered to be a hybrid of two completely separate species of butterfly, which at some point shagged each other and produced fertile offspring. Oh, wow. That's completely counter to the way the tree of life normally works, where species split, you know, branches split. So this is one of a handful of cases of branches merging. Wow. Is this this the beginning of the end? Is this when we all start contracting back down into one single amoebic species? I'm afraid so. (laughs) So we're all, you know... And we're back to this theory, are we, Anna? This this theory is from about four years ago, which is... What's the theory? Well, that we're all going to evolve back into amoebas. (laughs) Oh, wow. I've forgotten I'd had it before. (laughs) that I'm consistent. If if not good, that I forget what I've said as soon as I say it. Okay, here's the thing about changing from black and white to colour and back again. Yeah. This is mad. And it's kind of, I guess so James's fact is about the Israel removing colour. Um and that was done again in the UK in nineteen seventy by ITV, who where the staff went on strike, they went on a three month colour strike where they were objecting over their pay rates. And so they just started making shows black and white again. And because these are quite technical shows to be filmed, they just refused to work with the colour TV equipment. They switched off the colour tubes on the cameras they were working with. Wow. And for three months, ITV just had to go back to black and white because oh the staff were... Oh my God. I know. So funny. That yeah. is... Wow. And then eventually they resolved the strike and they turned. The... They were willing to make colour TV shows again. I wonder if they lost a lot of viewers in that time. Don't know. If they like you know last year when the archers um couldn't handle <coughs> COVID because it seems to be run by a hundred and twenty year old person. So they, it was just monologues for about six months. And I think, you know, a lot of people said they would leave the show, but their listenership has sustained and recovered. So maybe the same. Great news. Yeah. But it's, it's similar, is right? Neither, it's neither black and white nor colour, actually, the archers, obviously. As a That's what your imagination is like. For me, it's just like the TV's turned off. It's like a very fantasia. But that is true, isn't it? That some people, is that right? That some people imagine things in black and white, I think. Yeah. Or dream in yeah. black and white. Yeah, dream in when, black and white. when they grew up with black and white TV, isn't yeah. it? Or if they yeah. were kids when... James, you know that condition that you have, the aphantasia? Yeah, yeah. Where you can't imagine, what is it? You can't imagine Anything. things that are not. Images that are not there. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't close my eyes and imagine anything. I was thinking the other day, it's very weird that it's called aphantasia because Disney's fantasia is one of the most extravagant, colourful, imaginative things ever. Do you know what the prefix A means? No. (laughs) Without. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, absolutely not weird at all when you. Yeah, when you 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 really break it down. (laughs) (laughs) Blow this shit wide open. Okay. <laughs> hey, there was another uh, musical knife that I found, um, which was from Switzerland in the early 19th century. It's really gorgeous. It's like an early, very basic Swiss army knife. Um, but it's got two blades, one for fruit and one for flowers. And if you can imagine a tiny Swiss army knife. <laughs> yeah, What's it's the not difference for... between those two things? It's like you've got your fruit knife and you're trying to cut a top off the flower. You're like, this is not working at all. I will tell you, I know what it's for because the fruit one, the fruit blade is gilt. And that's so the fruit oh, yeah. juice won't corrode it when you slice your lemon. Fine, um, I suppose that does make sense. Exactly. <laughs> and then the flower one, I guess, it does is no problem. But it's got a musical mechanism inside. And this is, I think it's from about 1800. And it's got a little clockwork um, barrel inside and it plays music. And this was on the Antiques Roadshow a few years ago. Sounds incredibly annoying at the dinner table, doesn't it? 
And it's going to ruin the vibe if you are trying to murder someone. If you stab <laughs> someone in the heart and it starts playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars, you're doing it. <laughs> but is that what happens at most of your dinner parties, Anna? <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, We've got a very big cellar. There are some industry legends of naming drugs, which I like as well. Uh, Arlene Tech is very famous in the biz as the woman oh, yeah. who named Viagra. She, that was okay. her huge innovation. Yeah. And she did it by speaking to... So Viagra is a brand name, not a generic name. Yeah. Um, and she did it by asking a group of urologists what it's like, what it feels like for men when you've had erectile dysfunction and then it's cured. And that one of the doctors said, imagine a strong stream. And she combined the word vigorous and the word Niagara and came up with Viagra. Ah, really and that's, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Really good. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, the US can be strict on its rules about... Like even brand naming, right? You've got quite strong rules of brand naming. And mm. the US seems to... The US rules seem to basically say you're not allowed to suggest that the medicine works. So there are a few <laughs> things like there's a hair regrowth treatment called Regain. It's called oh, Regain yeah. in Europe and the rest of the world. In America, it's called Rogaine because you're not allowed to suggest that it's always going to cause your hair to regrow. Uh, but I, I think <laughs> hair growth stuff is generally... Oh, it's dodgy as hell. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. They're damn right. There's another one, called, which is a stop smoking tablet that you take, uh, which is called Champix. And in America, it's Chantix or Chantix. Because oh. Champix is a little bit too triumphant. A bit like champion. Exactly. And what? what if you're not a champion? What if you take them and then you're back on 40 a day by the end of the week? <laughs> it's misleading. I guess it's a bit like that thing about how digestive biscuits weren't allowed to be called that in America because they don't help your digestion. Is that right? Yes. yes. Gosh, it's very literal. But the champion thing, you should be allowed to call your thing like awesome pill, even if it's yeah. not, right? Should, like you oh, should just Dan, in theory. You, you would have been a quack in the 18th century. <laughs> <laughs> Roll up, roll up, come and see Daniel Schreiber's Pills of Mystery. <laughs> Stick them up your bum, it'll make you flow like Niagara. You know the song WAP by Cardi B? Um, I, I've read reports about it in the Daily Telegraph. There was a Republican who was going for Congress this time called James P. Brady, um, who said that every time he heard the song, it made him want to pour holy water into his ears. <laughs> wow. what's, what's wrong with this song WAP was it it stands it for wet ass pussy and it's about um, wow yeah wow. it's, it's get about get me some holy water right now <laughs> it's an extremely feminist song about women taking charge of their sexuality oh, well, I mean, I've just said water. that's disgusting James so that's going to sound really bad now mm. and holy water will only make things wetter what you need is a holy towel um, <laughs> some holy kitchen roll perhaps <laughs> Um, she credits Popeye with saving her life. Who, olive oil? Uh, yeah, is that not who we're talking about? Oh, damn, we're on Dolly Parton. No, she credits Popeye the dog with saving her life. Oh, uh, oh Popeye the dog, of course. Popeye the dog, Who's you know, Popeye the second most famous Popeye. This was, she, it was in the 1980s where she fell in love with someone, I think didn't have any physical relationship, but she kind of, you know, she was married, but it's a long time. She fancied someone else, uh, was upset when he didn't fancy her, and she looked at a revolver. And it's weird because Dolly Parton's such a bubbly, cheerful person, but for a moment she looked at the little gun she keeps in her bedside table for when she gets burgled, and she thought about 
she thought about killing herself and then she said she heard the little tap, tap, tap of Popeye the dog's feet coming up the stairs and she took it as a message from God. In fact, she told the Times in an interview, well, you know, God is dog backwards, so I took it as a message from him. <laughs> Dogs are God's little, <laughs> little pockets of friendship he sends our way. And it snapped her out of it. Wow. wow. There's one thing physically that we don't know about Dolly which right. is uh, what her arms are like. So right. she always, despite wearing, spending, you know, 50 years wearing very tight or very revealing costumes in lots of ways, she's always got sleeves. She's always got very long sleeves on. And there is a, cons- there is a conspiracy theory. And even saying that, I've talked about way too much. There is a slight, <laughs> small, tiny subsection of fan belief that she's absolutely covered in crazy tattoos, um, oh, you know, yeah. from wrist to shoulder. And... Uh, it's possible, but she has she's been asked about it, and she's denied. Um, in fact, she issued quite a clever denial, where she she only actually denied that she has snake tattoos. So we know her arms are not covered in snake tattoos, but um, they might be. <laughs> right. There might be all sorts of other tattoos on her. We don't know. There are other but types she, of tattoo. Yeah, so many others. But I've just googled Dolly Parton yeah. images. Yeah, I can see her arms. I've, her arms are here. She's yeah. on the front cover of Playboy, for example. She may have got the tattoos after she did the Playboy cover. Recently, she was. That's what I'm saying. Possible. I'm, I have to say, I have now done what Dan's done, and maybe it's our different search preferences, but I can't see any naked arms in any of these pictures. Wow. I mean, oh, in, here's some in, naked arms. There we go. Put in Dolly Parton Playboy, because that's a famous thing that she did, and she's asked to do again for her 75th birthday, which has now happened, and I don't think it's happened for her that she's back on the cover. But she was a Playboy model, and... And yeah, her arms. Are All right, fake arms. <laughs> I've just googled Dolly Parton's arms, uh, and there are a few, definitely a few images, relatively recent. All where... right, guys, we don't have to just, you know, she, there is such a thing as arm makeup. Can I remind you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tattoos. Yeah, and I don't That's like true. us just Google image searching my admittedly quite weak fact about Dolly Parton's <laughs> arms. And I'm, I'm more theory. amazed by the fact that there's such a thing as arm makeup. Again, I, please, please don't Google whether or not arm makeup exists. <laughs> I'm just going right? to do that. Is there, such thing as, that. is there a such thing as arm makeup? We are uh, not there definitely it is. They do it for movies, don't they? They do it for movies all the time. <laughs> yeah, but you wouldn't sell arm makeup in a separate section of the shop to leg makeup. They'll do skin makeup, won't they? Is leg makeup a thing? Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying leg makeup is a thing. I'm being... You just did. Oh, no. I'm being... I'm being corrected in real time and dan it feels horrible i don't know how you <laughs> not nice, is it? Long. you get used to it though you do you, you, you eventually learn to love it <laughs> 300 more episodes of it andy and you'll have toughened up <laughs> here's a fun thing uh about sunglasses and tanning oh yeah there is a theory that if you don't wear sunglasses you can get a tan even though you're wearing suntan lotion and you you know wearing clothes so there's a theory that just exposing your eyes to light, okay. that will help you tan. And this is really this is based on an experiment in mice. So I don't think an equivalent's been done on humans, as far as I know. Basically, I can tell if a mouse is tanned. Well, oh, <laughs> you just shave it. Don't I you? guess you shave it. Yeah, thanks. Sorry. <laughs> so this was an experiment in 2000, and the, the scientists involved they they dressed mice in tiny suits of aluminium foil, adorable. Middle little mini mouse armor, and they gave them holes for the eyes. Okay, so they had your armor mice, and then they had normal mice, and they exposed both sets of mice to UV light for a year, 
and then they looked at their skin. And it turned out that both sets of mice, even the ones which had been wearing suits of armour all year, had similar amounts of melanin in their skin, implying that it was the exposure of the eyes that was the thing which was giving them the melanin. (laughs) Does that also, if you take that in the other direction, if you go sunbathing with your eyes closed, then you won't get a tan? Uh, Yeah. People have suggested that. No, people think. Really? And it's, it's well, because it's online, I think probably off the back of this experiment, people think that if you wear sunglasses, then your body will be tricked into thinking that it's not sunny and so it will not produce melanin and so you'll get burned really badly. Wow. And wow. I, so, and it's weird, no one's properly debunked this yet, but there was a molecular biologist who has asked this, who said that it is not your eyes, at least in humans, that trigger the hormone response in the pineal gland which make you produce melanin, is your skin. So it definitely doesn't happen in humans. Okay. I don't, in mice, clearly different different setup going on. Yeah. But don't worry, wearing sunglasses <laughs> is not a substitute or a counteraction of suntan cream. Okay. I love, uh, just jumping back to Andy's description quickly of the mice, it's such a fine line, isn't it, between what you would say is animal cruelty in the kind of way you tell a story. A lot of people would be like, and for a year they dressed them up in tinfoil, these poor mice. But Andy's sort of going, it's a they look like cool little knights. They look they had a fun time, didn't they? You're the kind of guy, Andy, they would hire for movies just so they can say no animals were harmed during the making of this movie. All the animals had a whale of a time in the making of this movie. Except the whales. Who <laughs> <laughs> were terribly mistreated. <laughs> I like this one. I found one drug that's called um, Anakinra, which is a balm that you put on your neck if you've just had it knocked off by a train. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Come on, Uh, It's actually for arthritis. Yeah. Oh, it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a real thing. She never, of course, never lived to experience arthritis. Um, I found out a nice term. This is just a bit of drug industry slang. And it's when a drug is no more effective than a placebo. And the term for that is crossing the futility boundary. Because Mm. literally the drug is completely pointless. It doesn't do any better than a a placebo drug. So yeah, you've you've crossed the futility boundary. So you can use that in day-to-day life now. (laughs) Hopefully we're not, we can't buy many of these drugs, right? Surely they're not being approved. Uh, oh, I just mean in day-to-day life, you can say in your own activities, oh, I've really crossed the futility boundary on this whatever right. activity. Broaden out. Like if you're watching a TV series and you're three seasons in and you're still not enjoying it. Do you think we've crossed the futility boundary of this section of the podcast? I think the podcast in general some years ago crossed the futility <laughs> boundary. <laughs> the Texas theme reached number six in the UK charts in 1992 yeah. and Andrew Lloyd Webber was the man behind it. I bought it. I remember. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber composed the tune? No, he remixed it, didn't he? It's a Russian folk song. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? It's by Nikolai Nekrasov. You speak Russian, James. Can you can you give us a little Uh, excert, possibly? Yeah. Just because I did it. Because I did it (laughs) off mic earlier on. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try. I'll try. So it goes. Oi, polnim polna maya karabushka, yes, tisi tietsi parcha. Pojalai tu shazaz na bushka, maladietska poplietcha. There you go. Woohoo! Nice <laughs> one. Beautiful. Very and then, cool. an- so, Android Weber then took that very well known traditional tune and passed it off as his own. Sounds very unlike him. 
Um, oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, wow. musical industry. Gossip That's just there. a little, just a little slam from having listened to too many Lloyd Webber soundtracks over the years. Wow. wow. Also rendering this podcast completely legally unstable. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's all of our facts. Apologies for my singing there. Um, If you would like to get in contact with me and tell me how terrible my voice is, you can get in touch with me on at James Harkin. You can get in touch with Andy on at Andrew Hunter M. You can get in touch with Dan on at Schreiberland. And if you want to speak to Anna, you can email her on podcast at qi.com. Of course, there is our group account on Twitter, which is at No Such Thing. And if you'd like to learn anything more about the show, get some merchandise, maybe get some tickets to come and see us live, then you can get all that information at no such thing as a fish.com. Okay, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.